0: World Venue and the Christian Reformed Church in North America, this is the Do Justice Podcast.
1: Well, hey friends, and welcome back to Do Justice. Uh, We're continuing our conversation with the theme of reconciliation. Part of our conviction for this season and going in this direction is Yeah, we believe that God is a God who reconciles. He reconciles us to himself through Christ. God is a reconciling God in the world. God is in the business of reconciliation. And a lot of the rifts and a lot of the brokenness in our world, yeah, needs to be bridged and needs to be healed. And and we believe that we serve a God who can do that. So it's exciting to continue this conversation this theme. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Reenstra. Welcome, Andrew, thanks for joining us, man.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having
1: me, it's good to be here. It's so good. You and I have worked together with World Renew. You're a graduate of Calvin University. Part of your story, though, interesting part of the story that that we wanna dive into is that you were adopted as an infant in Costa Rica by Dutch-American missionaries. You're brought to Michigan at the age of 10. And, you know, in your bio, you shared with us that you're passionate about the exploration of identity, empowerment, building of community for adopted people living in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And recently in 2017, you, you founded the group uh, West Michigan Adopted People, and that group provides a safe and positive community for adult adoptees to discuss their collective journey, mitigate feelings of otherness, really just share in the experience. And you know more recently you joined a club that i'm in you're you're in the girl dad club uh your daughter is is 2 years old two two years in a couple of months is that it
0: yeah birthday in july so
1: yeah awesome club to be a part of i love it i know you love it um i get to see you know like i said we we've worked together for a while but you're you're in michigan i'm in ontario and you know, I get to see what's going on in your life through Facebook and it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's yeah, nothing quite like it. So again, thanks for joining us. Let's let's dive in, man. Andrew, I'm sure in a lot of the conversations that you've had um, around adoption and, and being part of the the adoption group and starting that, um, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people have questions uh, like what's it like to be adopted? So we're wondering, like, what's the most common question that you're
0: asked? That's a good question. You know, the question I get the most is how old were you? And that's something, you know, I've been I've been just thinking on since I kind of, you know, you asked me earlier before, you know, we had this conversation about, you know, what do you get asked? And yeah, it's how old you are. Um, And to me, that ties into like this, this feeling of are they asking of genuine, you know, just interest or are folks sort of approaching this with like um a misconception or an idea behind, well, you know, the older you are, the more you've gone through or the the um, the more it's gonna impact who you are? Mm. And I actually uh, had had dinner once with some older folks and towards the end of, of the the dinner I'm I'm uh, you know wrapping up or having you know, to start a meeting. And this, this was actually a, a work meeting, you know, and, and so, you know, things had gone well, great conversation. And the gentleman had heard my story, a bit of my story, you know, being adopted and such. And he looks at me and he goes, so you're adopted, but you you don't act crazy. You don't look crazy. And And I was just really taken aback by that. I was like, oh, whoa, like, you know, is that something that people sort of approach my story with? Like, is that you know, when people ask, like, "Oh, how old were you?" or "Where were you from?" or "You know, what? You know, what? Were you adopted with siblings? Or you only have you met your parents?" Like, is there this this mindset of, "Hey, I'm genuinely interested in." Oh, you know, we're chatting, Chris, and you know, you like to play the guitar. Let's talk about that. Or is it like, "Hey, I'm trying to gauge, like, is this person someone I feel comfortable around? Um, what you know, what is what are they bringing to this?" the story when they're asking me that question of how old were you? Um and I also feel it's it's really it's tough for me because once adoption is mentioned, it's such, you know, for some people it's a very interesting topic. And it can make me feel a little pigeonholed in, in presenting who I am. All of a sudden now I'm forced to talk about traumas I've experienced or, you know, um this this crazy and beautiful story that I've lived. Um, and, and I'm okay doing that, but it's also something that, you know, at times I wish I could kind of hide, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so there's that dance of that. Um, so a simple question like, oh, yeah, you know, how old were you? How old were you? Um, the older I get and the more I've experienced responses to what I say or engagements when it comes to adoption um, conversation, the more I sort of question that question. So, uh, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah you know, I, I want to get into the story. I want to hear a bit about your story. Tell us, you know, kind of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, fill in those blanks for us. But I think like, you know, I'm asking from, you know, I want to know the whole person, you know, yeah. I want to know, like I I yeah. met you through your work and you and I kind of hit it off. There was like, a, you yeah. know, similar senses of humor, similar, you know, I think we both had, uh, we've both flow in the gift of sarcasm a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, I... Well- yeah. Like from, I want to, can you share a bit of your story with us?
0: Yeah. And Chris, I mean, that that's an interesting point, you know, uh, just kind of backing up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. it's like with something like adoption with something that's hard and beautiful in your life, it's like, you want to be seen, but you don't want to be seen. And it's mm-hmm. this weird dance. And it can lead to a lot of, <laughs> you know, I would say, I don't want to say tricky, but just when it comes to engaging with people, you know, there can be days where I'm just kind of waiting for someone to talk to me about my adoption story. And there's days where it's like, man, another person asking me this. And so it's complicated for outsiders, people who haven't necessarily, you know, walked that road of adoption or or felt, you know, um, an experience of being a part of an outside culture or whatnot. Yeah, Yeah, it can be like this tricky response, like, hey, you know, today he was cool with it. Or that person I met was cool with talking about this, but then this other person, they were really offended. And so I don't know, it, It it there's no like, answer that can be wrapped up in a nice bow but i just know that sure. it, it is because it's such a like i said it's a beautiful thing but there's so many facets to it it can just yeah. be all over the place so simple questions can lead to beautiful conversations and great relationships but they can also be something that makes someone in the room feel othered
1: <laughs> no i i get that yeah, yeah i get that i think like andrew before we hear your story and uh, you know I, i'm i'm Maybe a better question is what, what do you wish people would ask?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the first thing I think of is audience, right? I think that that, Mm. you know, is so, so outside of being adopted, I'm also a person of color, you know, um, and I'm living in a community that, um, it's West Michigan. So predominantly Dutch. Uh, I moved to an area where there's more Latinos, but even among the Latino people, I'm, I am kind of an obscure group. My birth father was indigenous mosquito Indian from an area of Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. My birth mother was from Costa Rica and I, I know some Nicaraguans and they've called me a walking controversy because there's a huge uh, issues between indigenous Nicaraguans coming to Costa Rica and, um, Doing this undocumentedly—that's how my birthday did it—and it's caused a lot of tension and trauma and and um, you know situations like that. So I've been called a walking controversy, and so um, for for me, I I feel like. It, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's audience, right? Like there's times where I put myself on a platform, and I'm open to any question, you know, ask away, you know, what is it like being, you know, Hispanic, Latino in this environment? You know, how has your faith mm-hmm. impacted you? Well, what were some terrible things that happened throughout your childhood relating to adoption? What are some beautiful things? I'm an open book, you know, so I think of those situations. But I also think sometimes I'm just trying to live, you know, um, when i was young i i always said like i just wanted to feel normal i wanted to fit in i knew something was off and it's just like i wanted to put my head down and just kind of you know why is everyone why do I stick out for so long? I just wanted to be normal. And so I, I don't always want someone to ask me a question. I feel like it's a dance, you know, mm. it's this dance of getting to know people. Um, it's a dance of where I'm at, you know, in, in that point of maybe my day or my week or my experience as an adopted person. Sometimes I'm I'm reeling off of traumatic things that just happened. You know, um, I'm doing this podcast today, but Who's to say last week I didn't have a really upsetting situation with my adoption story or my biological family mm-hmm. or how someone responded to, um, you know, something related to adoption in my life. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not always about the person coming to you and saying, hey, you know, the right thing or the wrong thing. It's about this complicated um, I don't know. I almost call it like a salad or something like that. You know, like we're humans, and as we interact, we're bringing different ingredients to it. And sometimes this things just click, and sometimes they don't. So, Chris, I'm sorry I don't have this answer. of Like, oh, I wish people had asked this. I more just have, yeah. Um, for, for the adopted people in the audience, or the people, you know, I think there's lots of different groups of folks who can feel like they're othered. You know, in West Michigan, adopted people, we talk about mitigating feelings of otherness or other people who are feeling othered. Um, there's a lot of work we can do and we need to do and, and in recognizing where we're at in our space, um, and, and how we're going to relate to people and how we want to come off to people because we are kind of put on the spotlight sometimes, you know? Mm Um, I hope that, you know, that answers your question in a weird roundabout way. I wish for me, there have been more experiences where, people have said the wrong thing than people have said the right, asked me the right thing where people I've had more experiences where people have asked the wrong thing than the right thing. Um, and made me feel more othered. And it's not to say I'm this sensitive person. It's just the whole, Oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, I can't believe you said that, you know, asking me, how am I not so crazy, you know, or how has adoption impacted your life when we're just having a meeting around work, you know, that, that (laughs) isn't the right way to approach it. Um, but I've put myself in very vulnerable situations. I've sat in rooms with, you know, five or six pairs of adopted, parents of adopted children and then like ask away and and share what I can from my story. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it's complicated stuff.
1: It is, it is. And it sounds complicated. And I think <laughs> like from, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that in a, like a, in a cheeky way. I'm saying yeah. that in a, like, here's what i take away from that so it, for me as someone who you know wasn't adopted but maybe i do have questions maybe it's less about the questions i ask and how i can receive What's being offered? What What are you offering? Like what, you know, how can I, how can I approach your story and approach it, approach you open handedly and be like, I'm ready to receive, I'm ready to interact. You know what I mean? Like rather than this is the right question you should ask. It's like, maybe it's more about a posture, you know, more about a posture of being open and being re- willing to receive what someone has capacity to offer in that moment. Does that, does that kind of vibe?
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And Mm -hmm. I think it's about relationship building, um, too, you know, like what, you know, um, I I think that people put this idea in their minds that relationship building is this really long, you know, deep thing, when really, it can just be like, you said, like a posture, you know, how are you presenting Mm -hmm. yourself? Are you? I used to call it the sniff test, I went to Calvin College, or now it's called Calvin University. And it was Mm -hmm. like, there's this sniff test that people can do uh, when you're on campus walking around as to does your story fit in with my story? Do we line up? And it was interesting for me, for example, as a person of color and being Latino, because around other la- Latinos, I don't pass the sniff test because my story has all these facets to it. Where now I'm more Dutch. I don't speak Spanish all the way. You know, my mom doesn't make tamales, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, I'm, I I look. Like one of them, you know, I look like this guy from Central America, but you start talking to me and I've miserably failed this this sniff test because I I'm, I'm my last name is Reenstry, you know. I I, right, I, right. I you know, and so um again, it's sort of like this this like you're saying, like this posture of getting to know somebody and I think fully bringing yourself to that conversation too. You know, it shouldn't be a sniff mm-hmm. test. Chris, you shouldn't be going to people like, Hey, do we match up? You're you know, are are we? Like, you are compatible, are we not compatible? Am I, here's another piece, am I going to collect you for my people of, oh, I know interesting people, like, hey, I know a guy who, you know, is adopted and like makes me seem like interesting and unique, because I can kind of, you know, um, what do you call it? I don't know, just feel like I'm experiencing this whole chapter of this person's life, or do I see this person as who this person is? And and I'm sharing my life, they're sharing their life, and and it's a right. beautiful thing. Chris, you have interracial marriage, correct?
1: Yeah, I am in an interracial marriage. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm familiar with the look. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you just I I, you know, as people who have stories that don't always match up with quote-unquote like this norm that's projected out there you know um, yeah you can just yeah. genuinely feel when people come to you with um you know like the right posture the right the right mm-hmm. intent versus yeah having something else going on in their mind that you know baseline of is this guy crazy or not you know? <laughs> right right <laughs>
1: I want to go deeper with this, but yeah. um, you, yeah. <laughs> uh, best tamales you've ever had, go.
0: <laughs> uh, actually, you know, it's kind of cheating. It's called a naka tamal, uh was made in Honduras. So I work for World Renew, which is the development and disaster arm of the Christian Reformed Church. And um, in 2020, I took a group to uh, Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Um, and we were in a community called Nueva Suyapa. And we had a chance as a group to make nacatamal, which is basically right. just larger tamales. Don't butcher me again. I'm a, a Dutch. inside, I'm Dutch. Outside, I'm Latino. I don't. I don't know the difference, but I'm sure there's a huge yeah. difference. But to me, they were just large tamales, and they were amazing. Yeah. It was so amazing okay. too to make those uh, as a com- you know alongside the community. We got to sit there and you know mix together oh, awesome. the corn paste and the the meat. It was wonderful. So that's all right. That's, I'm, putting
1: it, I'm awesome. putting it on the list. I'm putting it on yeah, the list. Yeah, yeah. see <laughs> okay. It's on the list. Thanks. You
0: got
1: it. Um, can you give us, I, we'd ask like a little bit, like maybe, you know, share your story, but could you give us, you know, there's, there's some more stuff I want to get to from what you said earlier, but could you give us kind of like the five minute overview, tell us your story um, I know that's hard to do, but just to like to give context to our listeners.
0: yeah, so some context and I, and I think that um, adoption stories are are interesting because, I read somewhere once that it's constantly bringing us back to being infants, right? Like think of a moment in your life where you're being constantly asked about this moment. Like I was abandoned. I was six months old when I was adopted, but I was three months old when I was abandoned by my my birth family. Um, They brought me to an orphanage along with my brother and my sister, and actually another sister. There were four of us that were given up for adoption. My birth mom had like, you know, groupings of children. She had one group with one man, another group that included me another group afterwards. Um, And, you know, it is interesting to be asked, what's your story? Because it's like me always bringing up with somebody, hey, what hospital were you born with in? You know, Oh, Zealand hospital. Great. You know, what floor, what, you know, it's like this moment that's so far away and so long ago, but it's has these ripples through my story. And I'm always brought to that moment. It's like a part of me is always held at this infant age because of other people holding me there i have to talk about hey i was six months old i was brought here you know um and that that m- number six months is incredibly special to me uh when my daughter turned six months we brought her to the dominican republic and just spent a week as a family just you know being a family because it just it, i'm just hyper aware of that six months that's when i found my family um so yeah you know parents my biological parents are from uh like i mentioned my birth dad was from the Mosquito Indian uh, tribe in Bluefields, Nicaragua. He came to Costa Rica to uh, find work. Um, he was undocumented and had a lot of issues getting kicked out of the country. Um, you know, he was a dude who, from what we know, had a lot of very serious problems and did a lot of very bad things. Um, I, I've learned historically, you know, he was one of the people affected by the war uh, that took place in Nicaragua. Um, he that area, Bluefields, was heavily recruited for for soldiers to go and fight. And so a lot of the men there suffer with like serious alcohol issues and and the trauma that comes with war. He met my birth mom when she was very young. Um, they began having children. They had us four. Uh, they didn't speak the same language. He didn't speak Spanish, which I a lot of this. Sorry, Krista, back up until i was like 28 i thought i was an alien right like i felt like i you know how probably talk about the stork you know bringing a baby to parents that's kind of how adoption felt for me like oh yeah that makes sense that story makes sense because you know you just kind of appeared with this group you don't know where you came from you don't know you know um you know anything about your biological family You just sort of appear on someone's doorstep and they take care of you uh i didn't know any of this until i was 28 and when i turned 28 years old I really went on this like journey of traveling to where my birth family, my birth dad and my birth mom were from, you know, researching them, meeting people who knew them. And all these stories came out and this whole life came out. Um, but until then, like, yeah, I thought I, you know, thought of a plane or, you know, the stork just brought me to my my adoptive parents. Um, and and yeah you know as as i you know learn more about their their lives you know my birth mom did not speak the same language as my birth dad so you can say you know that you can uh, what kind of relationship yeah. is that it's just one of you know having children and trying to survive um there was abuse in our home there's a lot of just terrible things and and um we were given up to the orphanage given up for adoption um my parents so i refer to my adopted parents as my parents um A lot of people, another wrong question people will say is, oh, who are your real parents? You know, things like that. Do you, you know, do you miss your real parents? Have you met your your real mom? You met your real dad? Um, I don't like that question. Or another terrible question people ask is, um, do your parents have any real children or any children of their own? Which is that I don't I don't get that wording. Do they have any children of their own? So then what does that make me? Um so those are some other wrong questions, <laughs> going back to that question um that you asked earlier. And uh yeah, so my my parents were were young, they got married young. Uh they put God put it in their heart to be missionaries. Um they traveled to Central America and uh as part of their ministry, they wanted to really, you know enter into the community in, in, in a more intimate way, and and they viewed adopting children who they saw a lot of children in need as part of that, right? Why bring kids into this world when we're in a community where there are so many kids who have needs? So they began the adoption process. Um, I hear it was fairly cheap. I think I was worth like $150 back then or $125. Um, which is sometimes I laugh about that. And sometimes I get really ticked off when people mention that. Like my dad has said it sometimes that yeah. I laugh. My dad says other times that I'm mad. And so that's that dance again of like where I'm at emotionally, right? Like sometimes you can laugh at your trauma and sometimes you're like, hey man, that's too far. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think I was I was worth around 125 bucks. Uh, it was sort of a buy two, get one free deal. I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but like my parents met my brother and my sister first and then the orphanage brought me out after my parents had already bonded with my brother and my sister and they said hey actually there's a third one would you be interested in in adopting him and at that point there i was a very cute little baby if you've ever seen my daughter uh, you can see why well my wife is also was also very cute so anyways uh, (laughs) you gotta say it man (laughs) yes oh yeah no uh um and so yeah uh they adopted all three of us they wanted to adopt the fourth sister who, who was given up, but one of the things that would happen is my birth parents would go and party. They would go, you know, drinking and and whatnot, and just leave us in the home. And neighbors would hear us screaming for help and and starving, and so different neighbors would help us. And one family helped our other sister, um, and would take her in. And so when she was put up for adoption, they ended up adopting her. Um, and so flash forward, you know, I lived my life. In Costa Rica, to some extent, with my brother and my sister, um, didn't know about my life did a lot of minimizing of my story because, as I mentioned before, I just wanted to fit in. I it was, I don't remember if you, if you knew these old Sunny D commercials where there was like a bottle of Sunny D and they said like, the sun is inside and it was always trying to like burst out the cap. There's like bright light always, you know, the bottle was jumping around the screen and bright light was coming out. I always felt that I had, I look back at my life and troubles I've had, you know, um, you know, I had, I was an angry at teen, you know, things like that. Um, it was that There's something inside me that needed to get out. And I just, I had buried it deep to try to just kind of survive. And um, like the Mm -hmm. Sunny D commercial, that sunlight burst out, so did my adoption uh, story and those feelings. Um, And I actually remember them culminating. Uh, It was when I worked at World Renewal. I think I had just started, you know, I left college. In college, I had done some exploration of my faith, some interest in my adoption story, but not really a lot of that disinterest in my adoption story was I didn't want to hurt my parents. I felt like, Hey, like I have a good life. I love my parents searching for this feels like a betrayal of them. Another piece is I just didn't put the pieces together. I I had these, had these feelings, but I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know what they were, they were coming from. And I remember it all kind of culminating when I worked at uh, world renew. I I started my job there. And um, I remember I went to Meyer and I was being followed around by this uh, staff person and eventually followed me to the parking lot and, you know, accused me of stealing. And um, I, uh, you know, got, you know, I I interacted with the situation, I showed him my my receipt, I didn't steal, I walked away and I just remember feeling so angry, so, so angry and so, so hurt. Um, And it was just like this culmination of like, I'm an outsider, I'm an outsider, I'm an outsider, whether it's my race, whether it's my adoption story, et cetera. and I just remember feeling so angry, and I and I remember sitting down, and I was like, I cannot be this angry. I know that you know. I, I I was like, I I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be this angry person. And so I actually went and I found a Bible that they had in uh, one of the old rooms there, and um, I began reading through it, and I found all these verses uh, about like what God says about us, um, you know, and our identity. Uh, and to me, that had this very calming effect on that rage and it and it turned into, okay, what do I do? How do I start working on this? How do I work through this? And so um, it just so happened at that same time, my sister was turning 30 and she wanted to explore our, our adoption story. And so uh, we had, we wound up finding um, some documents on our birth family. We got in contact with them using Facebook, social media, as incredible um and yeah that, did some more conversations for a lot of years with them got to know them just a little bit um it's not a clean cut situation with them they're still living in poverty with a lot of uh psychosocial issues mm-hmm. and addiction issues i had the opportunity to go meet my birth mother and all these siblings that i have because i mentioned she had different groupings of children i have half siblings a lot of half siblings i was able to meet quite a few of them on my honeymoon my wife and i traveled down to costa rica on our honeymoon and uh we spent half a day with them uh we were able to get to know their story a little bit more hear things from their side of of events pray together eat together and then i took off and we've had engagement ever since um trying to help them help themselves has been an initiative of mine but it's tricky anyways i hope that's a that's a little bit of my story
1: (laughs) no it's good you know we want to we want to talk about reconciliation and you you started think you started going there yeah but what has it been like to reconcile your life you know your adoptive parents or your parents as as you you know with the life maybe that you may have lived with your biological parents like have you have you had to journey through that piece and what has that felt like or look like for you
0: yeah I feel a lot of different things when it comes to that word reconciliation and adoption stories right um Initially, I feel that um, it's a trauma. So there's not really, you can come to some extent to peace with it and to some extent, reconciling these relationships. But in reality, it's a very horrible thing that happened um, all those years ago, 34 years ago, that I was brought into this situation that people could not take care of me and I was given up, and and I have seen so much beauty of God in my life piecing my story together into this beautiful journey where, yes, there's been lows, but I have been able to survive and thrive, um, and I think, most importantly, have a relationship with God, um, but You know, to to say this is like that scene at the end of Greece, where we're in the car and flying into the, you know, the sky and everything's, everyone's just singing a doo-wop song as we, you know, ride off. Like, it doesn't feel like that. I think a lot of the reconciliation has been internal where it's moving through, like I said, that point of anger and rage at being othered, at being out of place, at the fact that my story feels broken, um, to, okay, you know, I have to just work through this internally i have to I, I know it's okay for me to sit with these feelings but it's not okay for me to lash out and to make things worse for myself or people around me because i i went through this uh you know when it comes to trauma when it comes to abandonment it's very easy to become cyclical you know addiction things like that mm-hmm. um and so for me, a lot of the reconciliation has been internal, right? Like, this is something that happened to me, but a lot of it is in my hands now at this point. I'm 34, right? Like I mentioned, it's bringing me back to these moments a lot, years and years and years ago. But yeah, I feel like a lot of reconciliation has been internal. I can share a memory and experience that I felt very was very beautiful for me. A while back, I appeared on, actually, it might have been your wife's podcast, See, Here Love. But I shared my adoption yes. story, I shared a lot of things that I thought, and I found out later on my birthday, um, my dad gave me this present and and I, I, I went into the box and I looked and it was this broken pot that had been glued together. Now, during that podcast, I believe it was that one, I had talked about how I really struggled with feeling like I was this broken story, right? Like I had... You know, love for the community in Bluefields that I had visited and learning about that culture there. I had love for the people in Costa Rica and, like, the story of, like, you said, like, what could have been. I had love for my life in Michigan and my family and love there. And I just felt like this great happiness, but then there's also deep sorrow. I feel broken. And I remember I actually experienced all of that while I was on a plane. And I had this moment where I had a mental image of, God as this great potter putting me back together, you know, taking these crazy stories that shouldn't fit and and piecing them together um, and blessing me through them. Uh, sometimes being an outsider has been a curse, but mostly it's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. And I told that story and 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 you know how I felt about that. And and on my birthday, you know, I look in the box and there's this pot that's put back together. And my my dad gave that to me. And to me, that was one of the most important gifts I've ever got because it meant my dad heard me, and I and I, mm. I I think hearing beyond just words, he he was he saw my heart, he heard my story, and he went out and and did that for me. He got that broken pot, and I feel like as an adopted person, you know, you've asked the question, oh, "What do people ask you?" What da, da, da. It can feel so surfacey. People want to hear the story. They want to, but to be involved with it to the point where like. You're listening to me on this podcast. You're understanding what I'm saying. You're celebrating the beauty, and you're giving me this. It was very, very impactful, and it did a lot for the journey that I've had with my dad. My dad has been a big advocate for adoption. You know, engaging in my story, meeting my birth family, etc. He helps me translate things. He helped me form the adopted people's group. Uh, we started out of the basement at Eastern Avenue, um, CRC, where he's a pastor, and that to me has been so important. I feel like a lot of times. Adults adopt little children, but they forget that, you know, you're adopting an adult as well. You're adopting an old man. You're adopting a middle schooler, adopting a teenager. I'm not just this cute baby. And my, my dad has really stepped into that, like, hey, you know, um, let's let's walk through this together. He doesn't feel threatened. He doesn't, you know, um, run away when I, you know, talk about things that are hard for me and Mm -hmm. and that to me has been the most important relationship when it comes to my adoption story um and i don't i don't expect that from everybody you know i don't i don't need that from everybody but with my dad that's something that with all of this it it wouldn't have been possible all my healing wouldn't have been possible without him
1: um yeah it's beautiful man like yeah so much to digest in in what you just shared Andrew, as we wrap up our time together, let's talk about justice. This is the Do Justice podcast. And folks who tune in are obviously listening to hear, you know, the answers and the topics and the discussion around the justice lens. So I guess the question for you is, what do you think about adoption, about your story from a justice lens?
0: I'm going to kind of start with like the context of my story. I mentioned the fact that the war in Nicaragua had on uh, my birth dad, him fleeing the country, being used in the war, um, ending up in Costa Rica, his community being destabilized, and him needing to find work uh, as an as an undocumented person in Costa Rica. Um, so, you know, just a, a reminder that our actions in the United States had an impact on that war, um, and uh, there's consequences, right? So it's like the you know, the butterfly flaps its wings and causes what, like a hurricane on the other side of the planet. So just a reminder that, you know, uh, when it comes to how you advocate and how you vote, I mean, especially thinking of how climate is affecting the world right now, um, it's going to affect and create more stories of people like me, uh, where their families are disrupted, uh, where their linear story is broken. And while I do believe that God is out there, you know, restoring and redeeming stories all the time, just like mine, you know, let's try and keep the story a little bit more simple. You know, let's not throw people into these traumatic situations. You know, as as a nation, as as, as individuals, as families, let's try and and help others through our yeah our ability to advocate to uh, yeah keep peace in different parts of the world because you never know what con- what will happen down the road. I also feel like kind of tying to that. You know, if you're considering adoption, especially international adoption my request would be you know think about ways to try and keep the family together you know there's obviously individual stories where folks need to be you know adopted and moved to a to a new context and new home but those communities are still there you know um i was adopted out of a family of like there's i don't know how many people are left there 10 you know and and what what does saving me do out of that situation and those hardships do when you're not necessarily reflecting on well how do you help that community you know uh, what what can you do to help people who are in that situation now it is tricky you know but like consider supporting nonprofits that work in remote like so for my parents it's like you know consider working in you know like they did in Costa Rica work with the poor work with people to try and you know change their story so they don't have to give up their kids so that they can beat addiction so that they you know can have a healthy marriage um I think that's that's a piece of the story that we tend to kind of gloss over, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like when it comes to adoption, I've seen this sort of love for the children and disdain for the parents. Let's, you know, let's save the child and let's forget the parents because they sort of deserve what's happening to them or they're bad people. But, you know, uh, my heart goes out to those communities where, yeah, where they're, they're losing their children, their next generation. It's no easy thing. Um, So Hmm. justice lens, I think, you know, we need to, to work towards that, keep families together, help the family unit, um, whether directly the community or, or whatnot. Um, Yeah, I think another, and and this is an area that I'm I'm terrible at, but I do know in the United States, there are groups that are working towards um, the rights of adopted people. Uh, I can share in a link later. Um, but I've connected with some folks here in West Michigan, even who are advocates for various rights for adopted people. Now, this is an area I wish I knew more about, but I do know that um there's folks who struggle with getting, you know, certain releasings of documents or certain information that's just things as basic as like health,, um, you know knowing their 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 health history, things like that. Um. There, there's a lot of folks trying to advocate for that. So I, I'd encourage people to support folks who are doing that. And yeah, that's what I got when it comes to justice, Chris.
1: <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today. Honestly, offering your time. Um, we, we appreciate it. And I know our listeners do as well. Our guest today was Andrew Reinstra. Thanks so much for being here, man. We appreciate you.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here.